I think it makes sense to consider investing some of the profits you're making in your arbitrage and building out more durability around your business. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. I just got done with this one with Ian. Our thing about the year is simplification. So we're going to talk about simple, basic things that we think have a big impact on businesses. So stick around for today's episode. We covered durability of revenue, meetings, and goal setting. Not exactly sexy podcast topics. However, I've been working really hard on setting a plan for 2024 And I've been so encouraged by how well 2023 went. We met and in most cases exceeded all the goals. We improved our team. We improved the size of our business, the health of our business. We've lowered our stress levels. It's easier to run our business. And now I'm doing the whole thing again with that confidence for 2024. And I find myself coming back to the basics. And the question I have at the top for you, if you stick around and you nerd out with me about revenue durability, meetings, and goal setting, I would love to hear what's a simple, basic process in your business that you've improved and it makes a big difference or taken a second look at, like with us, with meetings and with goals. I thought, man, maybe we should do goals differently, meetings differently. And wow, those things really pervade your business more than oh, a little idea here or something I picked up along the way. Or These are core central processes in your business. So if you have something like that, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email or drop me a tweet. I'd love to share it on the podcast in the future. So that's it. We're going to roll this one. Let's jump right into it. Ian, our theme for the year is to simplify, to focus, and to execute. Here, live on the podcast, we are going to have our best year ever. And hopefully a lot of you guys out there listening to this today will have your best year ever. And uh, leaving no stone unturned in our business to simplify, to focus, to execute. Let me talk about one area of the business where I think there's a huge opportunity for founders to improve. And that's with meetings. There's this quote from John Baptiste Say. He's the guy who invented the term entrepreneur, which means an undertaker or an adventurer. You know, you don't think that the adventurer wants to be in a lot of meetings. And I think that that's where the challenge comes up. John Baptiste Say wrote, the entrepreneur shifts economic resources out of an area of lower yield into areas of higher productivity and greater yield. And I see the opportunity in so many of our organizations to improve the quality of our meetings. They're the glue in a remote company that holds us together. And they're the petri dishes which we develop ideas, we roll them out, and we find new leverage points in the business. So we got to be changing the way we meet regularly. Meetings are only really three things, Ian. They're who's there, they're what you're doing, and they're when's the next meeting. And one of the things we've been doing to simplify, to focus, and to execute is taking a look at every meeting that happens, just asking ourselves who, what, when, what's the ideal setup for Q1 and Q2 for the first half of next year. And I think a great litmus test is so many founders say, I don't like meetings. I want to go to less of them. It's a great indicator that this could be a high leverage task. 
because your instincts are probably right. If you don't like going to meetings, other people probably don't like going to them. So why would you have that meeting? Why not create a meeting that energizes, that informs, that inspires, and helps people take the next step in the business? A couple of times last year, Dan, I came to you and I said, this meeting sucks. I don't want to go to it anymore. <laughs> he actually just threw a paper airplane at me. <laughs> there's stop showing up. But that was my real feeling. And I think it's good not to ignore that, especially if it's your own company, right? So if you have meetings that you're going to and they suck, stop going to those meetings, change the meetings, figure out why it's not working out. And so now that it's early in the year, you have the opportunity to do that. You have the opportunity to reframe with your company, with your team, and align on meetings that work. Your biggest investment is in your people and the glue that holds them together is meetings. And so I think it's worth going meeting shopping, checking out what the best practices are out there. Get this, Ian. If you pay a scaling up coach six figures a year to do business coaching with you, the number one most impactful process that they've identified as an organization is the daily stand-up huddle. You can Google it. Scaling up daily stand-up huddle. It's a six-figure thing. And for a lot of companies, it genuinely is. And so that's the opportunity, right? These processes, which seem so simple and are so universally loathed by us adventurous creative souls, actually have an enormous potential to drive your organization forward. So take a look at how some of the best in the business treat these things. Did you know Jeff Bezos completely reinvented how meetings go down in corporations at Amazon.com? He went away from PowerPoint decks and he went to in-depth memos that look closer to like what a PhD student would write versus what some business consultant would write because he saw the value in these things. We've actually had a Bezos meeting ourselves. It was pretty cool. EOS, Attraction, Scaling Up's competitor has something called a Level 10 meeting. If you just need to get your weekly team meeting on track, check out a Level 10 meeting. That could be it. You could try a daily stand-up. A lot of companies that we work with have functional kickoff meetings on Mondays. So that's where you drop into the director or manager of different functions in your company. You get things kicked off with energy and intensity early in the week. And here's what I've been enjoying, which is not on the top of everybody's productivity list, but how about a co-work? I like a good co-work. I like hanging out with people. Sometimes in the afternoons, take a couple hours to work on a project together. It's like, hey, we got to do this project that we think is going to take five to 10 hours. How about we take a big bite out of that project together while we're just hanging out on the phone together, which is kind of the way we do this podcast, actually. <laughs> so it's a similar kind of thing. It's like a hard thing to do. Let's get on the phone together, set aside some time and just co-work. At the risk of having zero listeners for this podcast going forward, because talking about meetings on the Tropical MBA is like talking about politics around the holidays, but <laughs> it's simple, you know? How about to create a discipline around speaking about the important and impactful things in your business? You only need to think about three things in terms of an organizational design layer. It's just who and what and when. And if you embrace it and you love it and you enjoy it, you'll be surprised about how much it pays you back. So there you go. It's an opportunity to value something that a lot of people don't value, which is the power of getting people together and doing it well. Let me just inject one idea here. If you only did one thing in 2024, and if you haven't already done this yet, supporting documentation around your meetings. I think for a long time, we'd have these meetings and there'd be all these ideas flying all over the place. And then you'd leave the meeting and then all that stuff would just fly away. And then you'd like somehow have the same meeting again four weeks later. 
you're like, oh, I thought we already talked about this. Did you do that? Did you do that? Was I supposed to do that? Like, what happened? Supporting documentation. Here's the most simple way to do this. Just have a running sheet, a Google sheet of what you talked about in the meeting and what the action items are. That's it. And then you draw a big fat line when you have the next meeting. And then a big fat line when you draw the next meeting. And put the date on the top. And that's it. Now you have a running record. If you want to get more sophisticated, you can implement a bunch of systems and whatnot. One example, because people are going to be like, what's more sophisticated? The one on the tip of my tongue is a scoreboard. Yeah. Where every director on the team, and that might be one person as multiple directors, would come with their KPIs for the week. And you do a KPI review. This happens in the, the level 10 meeting as one part of it, which is you look at that scoreboard and it's like website visitors, conversions, buyers, revenue. And like if everything's on track, it's like green, 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 yellow. Oh, revenue's a little bit down, but we haven't collected on this invoice. So it's actually, we're going to be able to get back to green. Good. Bam. Now we're moving on to the next part of the, the agenda. But that's just one piece of supporting documentation that you could add if you're one extra credit, which is like maybe at the top of your running document, you have a scoreboard, which you don't need fancy dashboard software necessarily. Just every director on the team fills in their key KPI before the meeting starts, five minutes before. And we just make sure everyone's on track. It's just that simple. And it can elevate the conversation that you're having in your business. I got to thinking about all this because we've been talking about meetings, not just internally, but in the company over the holiday break, because for the first time, the size of our DC Black membership is such that we can't handle all of the masterminds going on. So we need to grow the team. And so we put out a call. Hey, who wants to join this amazing community of seven and eight figure founders and help facilitate these meetings? And it's definitely a different standard, right? When people are paying you money to come to meetings, they better be good. <laughs> And so we're having to figure out what makes a good meeting. What shocked me, Ian, is I figured we'd get a lot of applications for this because it's a badass gig. I didn't think we would get so many applications from high net worth individuals. And it's fascinating. It's not about the money. I'll tell you that much because it's not like a huge check we're putting out every month. I think it's about the ability to interact with founders of this caliber. Yeah, it's probably not about the money. Because it's done a lot. But when you think about what you get, you get to be in a meeting with six multi-million dollar founders chasing down their biggest problems and opportunities. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be a fly on the wall on that call? Yeah. Unlike you, I guess I was a little bit shocked that so many people applied. But then once I started to see the applications and I started to see like people's backgrounds, I was like, oh, this makes sense. A lot of people want to be in this room. Okay. But here's what's so inspiring about it. Because now we've got people paying us for these meetings. But on the other hand, our internal team meetings are incredibly costly. And so now it's like, well, there's this whole new standard of like, well, what if your meetings were so good they could be a product? And could that give you leverage? And so we have to distill down now as we're bringing in new team members, some of whom have hosted meetings that have thousands of people on because they're running these larger organizations. And we're now having to distill down what it means to be in one of these masterminds. And if you're going to do a mastermind, which if you're listening to this, it's a good idea to get into a mastermind. If we're talking about things to do the 2024, go ahead and get in one. Here's the principles of our masterminds. These are a work in progress, but they, I think they cover what we're aiming for in these masterminds. They're high energy and high attention. We're paying attention. We're high energy. We're discreet about the information we learn in these meetings. We are Socratic. We are focused on questions versus answers. The answers take a while the questions we can do right now. 
We focus on lived experience. We are non-prescriptive and we are open-minded. So those are the six principles. When we bring in these facilitators into this culture, we go over these things and it's really cool to swap notes because these facilitators have all been parts of large organizations as well. So now they can sort of cross-reference with us, give us feedback and, and help us to improve. Yeah, one of the facilitators that we've brought on, he's been a CEO of a large organizations that many listeners know about that have thousands of employees. And he's like, you guys are running exec level team meetings here. That's what this is. This is how I run my exec team. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't been a part of those organizations before, but I'll I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Um, But it just goes to show when you're in an organization of that status, your meetings, they really do have to be run at a very high level. So I think in some of our smaller organizations, you don't hold yourself to the standard that you maybe should. You can have exec level meetings at a five-person company. It's just a framing, right? And it's just a way of doing things. You don't have to have bad meetings. You should hold yourself and your company to these standards too. And it's difficult it. to do. It takes a lot of work, but you can do it. It's a process. And look, we have a lot of crap meetings still. We're just trying to improve them. It's just who, what, and when is the next one? Keep improving. That's the name of the game. So pretty cool. Thanks to everyone who applied for that facilitator role, by the way. We hope to be able to hire more of you in the very near future. All right, speaking of 2024, Ian, one of the biggest things we hear is listeners say, I don't know how to set my goals. Like, I just don't know how to do it. Straight up. Yeah, like I could throw any number on this piece of paper right now. So how close should it be to what I think is reality? Should it be a stretch goal? Yeah, what should it be about? Can it be qualitative? I think there's like a principle in life that if something's easy, it's also hard. And I think goals fall into that category. It's so large, you can kind of, you can make it simple or it can be the most complicated question, which is like, what is an appropriate goal to have? And for a lot of us, we're either setting goals or rolling out goals here in January. So I just want to talk about it briefly. Our business has been changing so much and we've stumbled onto a few things that are working. And so our theme this year is simplify, focus, and execute. And so we set a theme at the top of the year and we kind of revisit that theme and ask ourselves, are these behaviors, projects, whatever, are they simplified? Are they focused? Are we executing? But in terms of goals, there's a lot of different content this month about how you're screwing up your goals, you're doing them well, how to do them. And I just thought maybe it would make sense for us to discuss a little bit about how we approach it. So there is this framework that's popular in the business world called SMART. And it's a framework for creating goals. And maybe the fact that you want to be an Olympian someday, or you want to be a firefighter, astronaut, you want to have X numbers, you want to be a billionaire. I used to hear that one. Or I used to hear, uh, I want to help X number of people do Y. It's like a vision. I want to stand at this venue with this many people in front of me, whatever. That's a vision. Cool. I'm all about that. What are goals? According to the SMART framework, goals are specific, they're measurable, they're attainable, they're relevant, and they're timely. And so you run your visions through the pasta maker, you compress them down into something called a goal that's going to get you on the way to the vision. So in the parlance of scaling up or these coaching programs, the vision would be like the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. 
That's just a vision. That's something that you imagine that you're capable of something down the line. But a goal is like a line that you can cross now or in the near future. (laughs) And the problem can be in small business is when you start dousing your team with all these visions. And really, people start to look around and say, where's the finish line around here? Because it's kind of (laughs) cool that you want to be man on the moon. But what about what we're supposed to do today, next week, and this quarter in order to progress and so that I can achieve my goals as well? That's right. I'm pretty sure that the Wright brothers didn't have the dream of going to the moon. They had the dream of flight. And then after flight came the moon idea. It's kind of the same thing on the football field. There's the goal line and everyone knows the steps and process to get to the goal line. I think that you're right to say the vision of winning the Super Bowl is great. But first, you got to get past the goal line more times than the other team every game. Yeah. And you got to believe that it can compound in all those things. As a founder, my, one of my favorite memes is, is this South Park episode. There's a couple of different versions of it in South Park, but it's basically like start a business, question mark, question mark, question mark, profit. And I think what happens with a lot of founders is we say, we want to challenge ourselves with a big old goal. And then we start to make some progress. And when we build a team, we start to do the same thing, which is like, here's a bunch of question marks and we're all going to get to this goal. And the thing about the SMART framework that I found inspiring is the idea of attainable. Because attainability is you as a founder processing question marks into budgets and habits and specific numbers that arrive on your team members' desks. In our case, in the form of a scorecard, you could do it in a meeting too. But the idea is, is, well, okay, you want to achieve these enormously big things that you wrote down on your fridge that you thought about after you read The Secret. Now, can you translate that to another person with some clarity? And honestly, some bravery. Rather than just transfer your dream onto somebody, can you create a habit that's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely? And I'll tell you where I've screwed up is with the attainable part. And I just want to do a quick little deep dive, a little double click into attainable. I think there's a real magic in goals being empowering. Founders, they love the idea of the uncertainty often. They're the quick starters, personality types. Whereas a lot of the folks that work for us, they don't share the same level of comfort with this huge, enormous idea. Instead, they want to know what you mean by it. And so attainability for me means having systems or budget or habits in place that can reliably get there. And you know what feels great? Meeting your goals. And that's something that maybe not all founders can relate to because often what we like to do is reset the goalposts. That's what founders like to do. Keep moving it out. Keep moving it out. But that can really suck for people that work for you. (laughs) People want to win. They want to know what winning looks like. They want to feel winning. And then they want to go do it again. They want to create the habit of winning. So how all this cashed out for us this year when we were doing annual planning is we really tried to, back to our theme, simplify, focus, and execute. And part of that for us is about winning. And so guess what? Our goals weren't that crazy this year. They weren't that crazy. And I was bummed out about it at first. Like that was my honest first impression. I was bored by it initially. I was like, this isn't ambitious enough. And I think that's the natural founder response. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. Yeah, and that's what you're going to get when you go to these 
programs that you pay 10,000 bucks to fly to the Caribbean or whatever, they're going to say, you're not thinking big enough. It's a billionaire mindset, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know what? Go to your Caribbean conference. You should do that. That's good for you as a founder. Like you need that fuel and that drives us as founders. But it also can be a blind spot for us when if you really start to break into the attainable, the measurable, and the specific parts of say, say you have something like a 15% growth plan and you really hold yourself to the standard of, well, how can people get there? What budget will they use? What behaviors will they take? Ask yourself, can you break it down in a way that people can win? Yeah. That's where the rubber meets the road. And I think sometimes it has been our historic blind spot. Well, I started to like turn the corner on being bored when I started to realize that we can meet it. And then I started to think about the 2025 goal too. And I was like, well, this percent plus this percent plus this. And I started to add it up over years over years. And I was like, oh, now it's getting pretty exciting. And by the way, this isn't easy work. If I actually like put the work to the percentages, there's a lot of things that need to get done. There you go. I think most of it is being unrealistic about how much it takes to achieve something. It's so easy to put the 100% down on the paper. It's so hard to put the hours next to it. Yeah, it's so easy to do the vision stuff. It's hard to make it specific, actionable, attainable, relevant, and timely. And it's also about putting yourself in your team's shoes. What exactly are we talking about here in order to meet these big goals that y'all have? And I think that has been a great framework for us. And here's the other thing. We all know that businesses can be unpredictable and we don't know what's coming down the pike. So what you can plan for is clarity and traction on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. You still don't know when the big opportunity is going to come up. And sometimes allowing for a winning culture to coalesce, a team who's capable of making forward progress and traction, and who has some oxygen in the office, they're not completely stressed out about meeting incredible growth targets. That can be an opportunity in itself too, because now people, they're a little bit freed up. They're not so stressed out all the time to be able to take advantage of opportunities and to be a little bit creative. It's not always stressful environments that make teams the most cohesive and the most creative. So figuring out what that means for your team, I think is an opportunity for us I think you framed it up really nicely there, Ian, which is like, by all accounts, we have an ambitious growth plan this year, except for the emotional accounts in our heads. We want more. We want the excitement. We are the adventurer type, the uncertain, loving of uncertainty. But when you really hold yourself to this smart framework and really try to distill what those goals are going to mean for each person on your team and be realistic about budgets, it can be very ambitious. And I think we just tend to do a lot of hand-waving, if I'm being frank. Like, you put that big number, you put some question marks around, and you say, we're going to figure it out. And we're going to experiment with a more, again, back to our theme, simplified, focused, and a plan that we can truly execute on in 2024. One of the things we want to do is dig up an old article off the internet from 2011 by Bill Gurley. It's called, All Revenue is Not Created Equal. One of the things we've been just thinking about a lot is we wrote down this term agency anxiety or Amazon anxiety. And we've been kicking around the concept of that not all dollars are created equal. And Bill Gurley really digs into this. He talks about basically a lot of companies were all looking for that 10x valuation. But the reality is the vast majority of companies 
are just valued like every other company, like three, four, or five times earnings. And when you look at the distribution of how companies are valued, the vast majority of companies are valued that way. And so I think the challenge that Bill Gurley as an investor faces and us as founders face is how do we create more valuable, durable dollars coming into our business? And this is really similar to the concepts shared in Hamilton Helmer's Seven Powers book. So I think if you're looking for sort of a shortcut to getting some of the principles, this article is a really good start. And we'll link it up. You can click through on your phones and stuff. But one of the things I just wanted to share is like all of these points, a lot of them can be technical, but I think they're intuitively available to us in just this question, which is how hard is it for somebody else to do what you're doing? That's a critical part of maintaining margin and desirability and durability in the revenue streams you're creating. And I think a lot of this strategic thinking is about doing two things. It's number one is creating moats around what you're doing. And if you don't have moats around your doing, it's about intelligently deploying capital and energy towards pivots that get you there. Because I think there's a lot of advice on the web that says, hey, doing a boring business is fine. Just keep doing it. And the reality is if you dig into a lot of the really high-level success stories there, there's a very strong moat around what that business was doing. And if you don't have that in your business, you might find that your revenue is not that durable. And I think we should trust our instincts when we're worried about our revenue that maybe we need to take some of the short-term arbitrages, which let's face it, if we're running Amazon businesses or agencies, those are almost by definition a lot of times short-term arbitrages. So I think it makes sense to consider investing some of the profits you're making in your arbitrage and building out more durability around your business. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. And they all really revolve around this concept of, is it easy to do what you do? And so as you start to make money serving your clients, you can start to do things that are harder to do. You can ask yourself about network effects, for example. Do your customers benefit from your other customers? Finding ways to aggregate customer data, to serve it to each other, to create a community of customers, all these things create network effects. You could create lock-in effects. Is there plumbing? Is there platforms that you could provide for free or for low cost for your customers to keep them locked in? Or can you take over critical parts of their business that then they depend on you so their switching costs are high? Can you invest in your brand? A lot of this stuff equals brand. Are there ways you can invest in what your company means, the mission, the look and feel that inspires trust in the market, unlike other companies? Can you reduce your platform dependency? If there are platform dependencies in the way that you build up your business, we talked about Mark Zhang, made his first significant haul on the internet using Amazon.com. Did he rest on his laurels? No, he built an incredible brand around Mantis sleep masks that are diversified off of Amazon.com now. And so the whole idea of Bill Gurley's analysis here and the analysis of Hamilton Helmer and Seven Powers is that the anxiety we feel about these dependencies, these cash flows, bears itself out in the data that if we want our business to be around in 5, 10, 15 years, we need to build durability around them. And so these books can provide roadmaps into how other companies have done it. So 
I hope that's interesting. I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but I see a lot of cash flow anxiety in our businesses. And I think it's basically justified. Like the job's not done. If we want to hang on to our cash flows, we've got to continue to develop and improve. Yeah. And I think the good news here is you can look at your business and then benchmark it against these principles and then figure out if this is the business that will become something that's durable with the brand. Right. And then you can either abandon it or you can be okay with that, meaning you can do nothing with it, or you could start a new company that does respond to these different objections. And so at least I think if you're aware of it, you can either do something about it or do nothing about it. And that's like anxiety at its core, right? It's like, I'm not sure what to do. Reading this list for me was really empowering. I was like, yeah, we're like lacking here, doing okay here. Here's, I think we can improve it. This is like the real Rockefeller habits. You should judge your company. Forget about, does everybody know the mission, vision, values? Do you actually have a plan to make your cash flows durable? One of the things is you could just accept for a moment, look at your business as an investor and accept for a moment that a lot of what we do is an arbitrage. And that by definition, there will be entropy, competition. Your arbitrage, your margins will go down over time. Save for X. And X is your strategy for combating that. And here's where the challenging part comes in. A lot of the times in the short term, X will make your current cash flow less profitable. And there you go. That's the tension, right? Is because arbitrages, you're making cash now. But in order to make the cash flow durable, you got to ask yourself, well, how long is the arbitrage window going to be open? And how much of the cash am I going to redeploy in? Is that cash going to be effective in creating durability around it? And some of the coolest business stories of all time are ones when the two are directly in competition with each other. So a famous example is Netflix. Netflix, in order to become the giant incumbent leader that it did today, they needed to make the decision to kill their old business of, remember the mail-in DVDs? Yeah, I remember the mail-in DVDs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about when somebody comes to the boardroom and says, guess what? In five years, the durability of your incumbent position will be eroded and will be taken over by this thing called streaming. And this fundamental setup, and to some degree, this tension exists in all of our businesses. Profit now versus profit later is a way you can think about it. And it's articles like Bill Gurley's and books like Seven Powers can help us to think about these in a way that maybe we can start to take some action on. And so I really like what you're talking about, Ian, where take Bill Gurley's 10 elements that make cash flows valuable. They're almost like the variable that you multiply relative to the cash flow to see how much more attractive it is relative to just a dollar and rate your business's cash flows relative to these. One of the things I thought was really interesting that you could take action on right away is this concept of marginal profitability calculation. I think a lot of people can essentially take a look at their accounting practices as a way to improve the value of the business. So Bill Gurley was talking about essentially comparing a company's net earnings with their cash flow is an important metric for investors. And that's a simple way of saying a lot of companies will have a lot of earnings that aren't realized in cash flow. And that is an accounting problem that you can start to consider right now. What does that look like in your company? And how could your company improve if you improve that education? So these are the sorts of diagnostics that you can take a look at. And like you said, 
you might have to face the reality of, well, I can't change that equation in my business. And that's the sort of thing you want to face down sooner rather than later. Totally. Cool. So shout out Bill Gurley, an article from 2011, as if it were written yesterday. So good. So Lindy. That's it for this week. Heady topics today, I would say. Heady topics that confuse you in 2024. Of course, our theme this year is to simplify, focus, and execute. So let's just talk about the most complicated topics that we don't even understand. Let's have a meeting about it, actually. All right. Well, thanks for meeting with us today. We'll be back next week as always. See you then. Hey, just jumping in here to say thanks for listening to this week's episode. I'd love to hear what you think about these simple things in your business. Have you reevaluated them? Have they made a difference? Have they been the little hinges that swing the proverbial big doors? I want to hear from you on that. And if you're sticking around this long, check us out on Twitter and check out our newsletter. Those are both things that uh, we're working hard on this year in 2024. So if you love the pod, you'll love those too. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you.